0: Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity podcast on Wednesday, the 30th of March. On this week's podcast, we have a special for you, concentrating on the world of pulp and paper and exploring what it is, why you should trade it and the environmental credentials of this market. But before that, let's take a look at some of the big news and market movements of the past seven days. Well, Shanghai went into lockdown as the spread of the virus caused concern for government officials. This, along with other lockdowns, has made many revised down Chinese oil demand and, I guess, easing pressure on the market, which was staring at severe demand shock in the face uh, with the potential loss of Russian supplies. It's also made life difficult for industrial operations with a notable focus on steel mills who are running short of raw material supplies or having to go to maintenance earlier than expected due to the transportation and lockdown restrictions. On the topic of high energy prices, the US and EU signed a new LNG deal which is hoped to bring 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas to the European Union this year and help reduce its dependence on Russian imports. And Germany is now preparing to start rationing gas supplies as its standoff with Russia over payments in ruble continues. But what have we seen week on week on the indexes? This Tuesday, the 22nd, versus yesterday, Tuesday, the 29th of March. Well, on the freight sides, the capes are full enough. They were 18,041, now 13,596. On the Panamaxes, however, we have seen a slight movement up, it was 26,663, now 28,693. And on the Supras, uh, very marginal fall there, 32,817, now 32,401. And I guess what the if seen in that market, is that significant pressure from lower demand out of China as it's battling with this COVID outbreak there. While on the Panamaxes and smaller vessels, it did receive that support from increasing coal tonnage demand. But it does seem that some of those deferred periods uh, on the futures are wary of the risk from reducing grain activity from those key regions. There's something to keep an iron. On the iron ore, that has now squeaked its way up. We have had a gradual move to $150 and above. It was $143.50 yesterday, closing $152.95. And we have seen that kind of rush for people to try and get as much as they can uh, get into mills before these restrictions are coming in. And we've seen a lot of problems in terms of transport restrictions and those steel inventories problems uh, in not only in Tanshan, but also other regions as well, with uh, MySteel reporting that 20 steel mills issuing plans to hold maintenance over the next few months. On the steel markets, we have seen a slight fall was 1400 bucks now 1,387.50 for the Northwest European steel market. And I guess what we've seen there is the gap between the imported hot roll coil and local asking prices for mills in Europe has become unsustainable for buyers, with many actually turning to imports, especially from India. But while other kind of concerns about this has happened, many have just actually decided to sit on their hands, preferred to stay at the market, uh, as well as kind of financing becoming an issue at these levels as well. So some mills were actually seeking upwards of above 1,500 euros on those kind of ex-work prices, and it come to no surprise that uh, people have looked outside of the European Union for supplies there. On some other indexes, on the Brent crude, we have come off 114.72. It was now 108.94. We saw a big drop over 6% yesterday with the news coming out of the kind of somewhat positive movement in talks in Turkey between Ukraine and Russia. Um, no surprise on the Sing 0.5% that that has followed suit. 8.35.60, it was. 8.04.10 on the FIS report yesterday on the front future there. On the tankers, T3C has seen a little move up, 37.23, now it is 41.64. TC2, 201.11, 196.64 now, slightly off. And on the TC5, similar story, slightly off there too, 186.43, closing yesterday 185. And on the emissions markets, the EUAs, that's the compulsory European markets, it was 77.43 euros and now closing yesterday 81.70 if you'd like to get more information on a weekly basis about what's going on in these main markets, then you can also sign up to FIS Live. And we have on there our new weekly analysis reports, which come out on a Tuesday. But let's move on to the main feature of this week, and that is pulp and paper. I have guests Hara, desk manager at Norexico, and of course, Duncan Murray here, our pulp and paper broker at FIS. Uh, Hello, guys. Nice to have you on the podcast. Uh, Hi, Chris.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: So, first of all, going to come to you, Hanu, and we have to ask a little bit of an introduction to Norexco. What are you, and what kind of offering do you have to financial markets?
1: Right. So, Norexco, um, we're a uh, commodity exchange, uh, EU regulated, and we're focused on financial instruments used by the sustainable pulp and paper market. We're based out of Norway. Um, making us uh fully regulated and supervised by the Norwegian FSA and authorized to offer multilateral trading in financial pulp and paper contracts. So very important that very important to know is that all our contracts are, are financially settled and centrally cleared meaning that there's there's no actual physical delivery or any type of counterparty risk. So, the structure of our market is, is highly standardised and could be compared to LME or CME in terms of how the transactions actually are executed. So, by facilitating this multilateral trading on our trading platform, we we allow our members and their clients the opportunity to, to post their, their trading interests directly on our public order book, uh, then with full anonymity and uh, no counterparty risk when the trades actually are matched. So we're kind of proud of this. Um, it reduces the trading costs and definitely improves the transparency and the price formation for, for all market participants. Um, the size of a pop-up and uh, paper market um, might be a bit unknown to some. Um, but it is definitely larger than many actually might be aware of. So if we only look at what we call market pulp, that being the pulp that is actually sold off from pulp producers, um, as they don't actually use it themselves in terms of an integrated paper mill or some other production facility they have on site. Um, We're actually looking at a market at roughly seventy-seven million tons of, of market pulp a year, so that gives us a physical market that is actually larger than the current physical aluminium market, which is, as far as I know, roughly at sixty-seven million tons. Also, we have we have focused, we have stepped into the the world of recycled paper, um, which is even bigger. Uh, we're talking two hundred and fifty million tons of uh, of what's called old coagulated carton board. board. So um, yeah, um, it's very global as well, uh, worth to mention um, with basic paper being actually fairly heavy, but at the same time, simple to make. You'll find paper mills across the globe, whilst pulp production in itself uh, can be narrowed down to say a handful of countries. So with such a developed physical market, We find all the characteristics that actually give rise to an efficient futures market present in pulp and paper. Like we've got a volatile pricing of the physical product. We've got periods of high price volatility. We have internationally standardized commercial terms and deliveries then linked to indices. So kind of puzzles me that no one's actually done this before, Pulp in itself, um, as a traded commodity, hasn't received more attention in the past, particularly as um, as a tool for hedging price risk in the industry.
0: Yeah. But like all pioneers, they're uh, called idiots until or madmen until it becomes a, a mainstream <laughs> thing. So that we'll we'll just label you as the pioneers in this market. And uh, yeah, that
1: that sounds really cool. good. Absolutely.
0: Well, I guess we um, you've talked a bit about pulp uh, and paper and. Probably a few of the listeners will be thinking, "Okay, I kind of understand generally, but I don't, I don't know if you would focus a little bit more about exactly what we we mean when we say pulp and paper. What are the actual products which are made out of those things? What are they used for?"
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, some people hear pulp, they think, "All right, is this orange juice or or, or something else?" This is we're talking pulp or, or wood pulp. So, so this is this is um, a type of uh, wood fiber is actually extracted from trees either through a chemical or a mechanical process so pulp in itself is just this wet soft shapeless mass that is the prime ingredients in terms of manufacturing paper and uh, importantly enough other products so this can as i said um, be dried up it can be bleached and it can be shipped uh, abroad as a standardized product um so in terms of paper, um, it's worth noting that everyone thinks, yes, yeah, paper industry, yeah, it kind of died out in terms of uh, the whole digital revolution. Uh, even graphical paper didn't actually see a decline in sales until 2015, and this is, uh, we, we're fairly well into the digital revolution by then. Um, but the term paper, it definitely expands beyond your standard A4 sheet of paper. So we're talking tissue paper. Uh, we are even talking about these, uh, Takeaway burger wrappers that you don't really think of when you when you grab a quick meal. We're talking uh, this medical paper, uh, this beautiful roll of paper that your doctor has that he puts over the bed in between uh, his patients. So this is all around us uh, and humans love it. Um, An average American will use 220 kilos of paper per year. And we've got a developing world that is without a doubt um, getting a taste for it
0: so we've had a nice so, introduction to the exchange We you know exactly kind of what paper products that are on and we obviously highlighted by yourself that this is obviously derivative all cash settled so it's not necessarily yeah. uh you're going to get your paper at the end of the contract when it settles it is simply the kind of cash settlements between whatever has happened in between those dates of whatever you're trading and it's probably worth a little bit more now to go into kind of who are these people who are, are members of the exchange and we've outlined those contracts who are the people who are going to be using them, and in what different ways?
1: Yeah, so today um, I would say we've got a good mix of members. Um, we're a fairly young exchange, but but we already have. Um, we've got large um, on the industrial side. We've got large European pulp producers. Uh, on the consumer side, we've got your standard paper mills, tissue producers, specialty paper producers. We also have um, agents, which are widely used in this market. Again, due to its global um, uh, global footprint, and um, in terms of uh, institutional, um, on the institution, institutional side, we've got we've got several large investment banks, which then again cover the global reach uh, of this um, industry. So, how can they use them? Well, as with all other commodities, pulp and paper, it's not. Very different we've got that systematic risk uncertainty we've got that volatility um if we combine it or look how the world looks or look at how the world is today we've got unpredictable energy prices we've got new elements within the, the currency exchanges and we've got an industry that is facing uh, a significant pulp and paper risk so uh with our products um we have a tailor-made set up to to offer futures for industrial players who actually want to mitigate that specific commodity risk pot producer for example they they could uh on a very basic level um hedge against price decline uh, secure revenues insert a level of predictability into say towards future investments or or anything else uh large producers including the agents as i mentioned can use uh, futures contracts to offer flexible pricing, fixed pricing towards their customers. Again, uh, increasing uh, their offering further into the market. A paper company on, this, on the other side, they they could use our futures contract to to fix the price of pulp. Um, pulp, without a doubt, being one of their largest costs. Uh, we know the industry today is really good at hedging gas, uh, electricity, shipping, and so on. Uh, but they now truly have the opportunity to actually hedge their main raw material, that being pulp. Um, again, giving them much easier time doing their forecasts um, and, uh, again, securing their margins, especially looking how the world is today.
0: Exactly. So you got um, great companies yep. like... Uh... The fictional Dunder Mifflin will also be very, very <laughs> happy, the fact that they can now hedge their paper Absolutely. coming in before going out yeah. there. And I just wanted yeah. to bring Duncan in for a second to talk about this. And obviously, FIS um, has has a vested interest in this. And from the kind of perspective of it, Duncan, you're a broker and uh, probably worth spending a little bit of time on what is the kind of role of a broker in a market like this, as well as many other commodities?
2: Well, uh, with FIS's experience in de- developing markets such as the iron market in the early 2000s, uh, the, we find ourselves in a very similar position uh, in terms of pulp and paper, which is a, a new market, especially with Norexco as a very new exchange. And the issue people are finding is liquidity. Uh, so our role would be to drive liquidity in the market, um, but doing this by engaging with multiple market participants um, in order to get them more involved in the market and therefore driving uh, business through the exchange. Uh, we'd be able to provide clients with live market updates and with FIS's additional services, such as news and
0: uh, market analysis and reporting. And I guess there's also the fact that because of being cleared with the stuff that we talked about, to begin with the, the regulated nature of New Mexico, we also provide that anonymity in the market between counterparties. They're not going directly to each other there is that ability
2: Absolutely. to- Absolutely, we, we act as the intermediary in, in the market and being able to, as I said previously, driving that, that liquidity through the exchange. Um, and as you say, Chris, the anonymity between the, the clientele um, is an additional benefit.
0: And then thinking of a lot of what is on the agenda, in the news, in the political landscape, we are talking everything about green, green, green. And coming back to you again, Hannu, Hannah, on the kind of global movement towards green investments, people will not automatically reach for pulp and paper but it does have pretty green credentials right
1: absolutely um so pulp then again being derived from trees it will without a doubt um fit fairly well into this esg segment segment um trees alongside the ocean they're, they're the largest largest um, carbon sinks as uh, as the professionals call it um they um and you've got your classical arguments that yeah, chopping down a tree is, is bad for the environment. This this wouldn't be completely true. Um, a tree actually loses its capacity to to capture carbon as it grows older. Um, so a young tree, in that sense, will will be able to capture more carbon from the atmosphere than a fully mature tree. Um, and you've got the regulatory uh, basis behind this. This um, uh, the amount of trees in the world is is increasing. Um, and let's take a, a nordic example of that well let's let's use a, a typical nordic spruce tree as an example you've got a forest owner um, would deem this tree as mature at the age of 70. he'll then chop it down and say sell it to a pot producer as he chops that down he he's required by law to to plant uh x amount of trees i know in my local forest that would be six new trees per tree that is chopped down um and We can even take this further um, where the pulp producer then goes ahead and uh, produces some lovely softwood pulp from this spruce tree. Um, And as long as this tree isn't burnt or or left to rot in the forest, the carbon remains captured in or most of the carbon remains captured in the material. So say this uh, pulp then is made into paper paper can be recycled. So we've got this endless chain that just goes on and on, starting off with uh, a renewable source as uh, simple as a spruce tree.
0: And this could be great for people not necessarily who are involved with the day-to-day business of the physical uh, going forward. This is also because of the volatility that you mentioned, because you have that volume there in the physical market. This is something which people can use for just genuine investment, especially with the derivatives that the Rexco offer because the cash settled nature?
1: Absolutely. So we've, um, without a doubt, we've seen an increasing interest from the institutional side, um, looking to delve deeper into what they might call green commodities. The Rexco would still be defined as an illiquid exchange. Um, thereby, some might even say that it's, it's untapped potential. And we're seeing this from several institutional Investors today, how they want to use our products, we we're, we're not completely sure. Um, but we've heard uh, talk of uh, uh, willingness to to use risk on their own books, um, to add our products into uh, funds to increase their their green profile of their funds. And um, so I think there's 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 definitely an untapped potential here uh, towards the institutional side.
0: So we've got to a stage now where we've obviously introduced New in Mexico all of its credentials as an international exchange for, for pulp and paper, looking at, at the kind of commodity commodity that's based on, all of those different uses and outlying products, all those ones that potentially people have not actually thought about, thought about how much paper they use on a day-to-day basis. All those people who are using it, whether you're a producer, you're an importer, or all, the, all those intermediaries as well, and the green credentials of this new product. The question now answers is, you've got people who are ready to go, they've listened to this podcast They're like, yes, that is the product for me. Duncan, what have they got to do now to be able to kind of trade this pulp and paper contracts?
2: Uh, Well, first thing they'd obviously have to do is contact me at FIS uh, to get themselves onboarded with us, um, in order for us to be able to trade together. Uh, From there, it's a relatively simple process of a membership and onboarding process with Norexco. Uh, there are two types of memberships, I'm sure, which uh, more details can be provided. Would uh, That would be based on the membership, uh, the client's requirements and their relationship with the clearers available.
0: And then uh, I guess the only thing left, is there any final points on pulp and paper which people desperately need to know from either Duncan or Hanu this week?
1: There's a lot of points, but I would say that we're telling a good story here. Uh, we're really getting into... Uh, the green side of commodities. Um, the world of, uh, pulp is definitely untapped. Uh, it goes far beyond, uh, paper. We've seen, um, one Norwegian producer creating, uh, uh, the flavor vanilla from pulp residue. We've got pulp being added to, to other foods. We've got, um, it being used in, in the textile industry. So this as a commodity, um, I don't doubt that it will, have a much wider usage than it has today.
0: That's it for this week in the freight and commodity markets. Thank you to all my guests this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything going on, then do sign up to our app FIS Live or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Join us again next week for more analysis and insight and have a great end to your week.